After going through some of those hymns over uh, Advent, and we just sung a lot of theology. That was a lot of fun. So, goodness, what a great, beautiful picture of the beginning of a new year to remember all that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Golly, that we've been freed not only from, from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin over us. Gosh, that's not what I'm going to preach about today, but it would be really easy to preach about. So, and if the Lord wants to, maybe we just drop whatever I was going to do when we talk about that. But um, how's everybody doing? Everybody hanging in there? Recovered? Yeah? Good? I'm not, I'm not super worried about you guys coming in here real hungover. So uh, <laughs> did work in college ministry for many years, and they uh, church on Sunday was sometimes just a, you had some kids who were learning to walk with Jesus. And so we're not always doing it on Saturday. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. You know, I'm, so I'm married to a woman who loves Mondays, and she loves Mondays because it's a new start to a new week. Sunday, I know Sunday's the first day, but Monday's like the first, first day that's hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the reality is that we, I don't know, I can remember, I know I have celebrated New Year's Day on a Sunday, but I can't remember the last time. So it's obviously happened, but it's not in my brain. It doesn't, my brain does not need to keep that. You know, I know that at night your brain sorts through things that are important and then keeps the things that are and kind of dumps. That got dumped a long time ago. But today, it's New Year's Day on a Sunday. And for me, I mean, ah, it's just glorious uh, to sing about the resurrected Savior in an empty tomb on this day of all days. And I don't know what your 2022 was like for us. It was a year. I don't know. Uh, there was, you know, there were good days. There were bad days. It was, I don't know. I'm not going to quote the first part of the Tale of Two Cities, but it was life. It was life, and you know, I'm not going to go into this. No pastor will ever again say, start January 1st and be like, you know, you're going to be 2020. Everybody got waylaid by that one, so hopefully this year will be not that bad, but you know what? I have no idea. My prayer is that the Lord comes back uh, before I finish here today, and so uh, that'll be, continue to be my prayer, and um, we'll see when he does come back, and he will. But whatever happened last year, it's done. Um, Madeline told me this joke. I don't know where she got it. You know, uh, please don't beat me up over this. This is funny, Madeline. But the, that, uh, you know, yesterday is, what is it? Yesterday is the, oh, yesterday is history. Uh-huh. Tomorrow, a mystery. And today, a gift, which is why they call it the present. <laughs> That's so cheesy, uh, but it's true. I mean, you'll never forget it because it's so dumb. But it's also... It's also true that uh, today is the gift that we're given, and we, we serve a God who has, who has forgotten our, uh, laid our, the, the thing of our past does not define who we are today. Christ defines who we are today, and we have a future that is set in him, and we walk today, and today only by faith. I cannot walk yesterday by faith. I cannot walk tomorrow by faith. I can only walk today by faith, and Jesus said today has enough trouble of its own, and what does it look like to walk with God in the daily things of life. And so today we're going to look at what it looks like to walk with wisdom, that Jesus is the, the full expression of God and his wisdom. And we're going to look at a part of Proverbs chapter 1 to kind of set off what it looks like walking in a year of wisdom. So before we do that, let me pray for us briefly, and we will dive into Proverbs. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your kindness and your graciousness to us to give us another day of life. We're all here breathing, and we are here for a purpose. You have not brought us home yet, and so you have us here for a reason. And so part of that reason is to 
The overarching reason, Lord, for that is to, um, to glorify God and to enjoy you forever. What a blessing that that is the purpose of our life, that we can say that we can understand our purpose and then can walk into it. Help us to live out the reality of it today and this following year. Lord, help us to understand uh, wisdom. Help us to understand the Proverbs today and the place they can have in our life. But more than anything, Lord Jesus, help us to remember who you are, your great love for us, that you, you have chosen to walk with us. As we looked at in, in the, uh, the hymns over Christmas, that you're pleased to dwell with us, that you make humans your temple. Help us to walk in that beautiful reality. In Christ's risen name we pray. Amen. So we will be in Proverbs chapter 1 for the most part, but I want to kind of set off the beginning of that with a look at Colossians chapter 2, a brief look. So if I was to tell you that Jesus was wise, like you would, everybody would agree with that. And if I was to ask you who was the wisest man who ever lived, everybody would say Solomon, obviously except for Jesus because Jesus is God. But Colossians chapter 2, in addition to being just wonderful, where's Colossians? There it is. It's always in the same place. So Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this. We're going to start in verse 1. Uh, 2, we're going to read 1 through 3. Maybe 4. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. He'd written this letter to these churches in these areas. Struggling for all of you who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let's listen to that again. He, what he wants to them is that they have all of these things united in love. There's about four sermons in here. They may have full riches, complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So if I am seeking wisdom and if I am seeking knowledge, who, in whom are all of those things to be found? In Christ. In Christ, he is the source. He is the uh, a spring of all wisdom and knowledge. So if we're going to walk in wisdom, what we're doing as New Testament believers, as, as believers who are under a new covenant, as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, as those who, are, who have been redeemed and who are now the temple of, of God, what does it look like to walk in wisdom? Well, it looks like walking with Christ. So I want to set that kind of as a parameter as we go into the Proverbs. Yes, we're looking back at ancient wisdom literature. But for us today... To walk in Christ is to walk with wisdom because he is, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So having said that, let's look back into Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs obviously is a wonderful book, a wisdom book written some 3,000 years ago. It's really more like an anthology. Most of the Proverbs in there are from Solomon. Uh, some are from smattering of other people. The... Uh, like the Solomon probably did not write the introduction here, the prologue. He said most of the things from chapter 10 to chapter 25 or so, and then in 29. The bulk of it are things that Solomon said that were very wise. But they are inspired, they are in the Word. And here in the beginning of Proverbs, as any good book would do, it tells you what its, what its purpose is. So it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So I know who that guy is. And Solomon, by the way, remember, 
in the story of, yeah, he's going to be king, and God says, ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. And so he, he, asked, he basically asked for wisdom to help lead his people well. And he did not ask for riches or for his enemies to be, to be destroyed. And so God gives him great wisdom. He also gave him great riches because of what he asked for. So Solomon was incredibly wise. David's son. And it says, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables and the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So this doesn't sound like even like a trip to Disneyland, like, oh, this sounds like so much fun. But we're going to dig into this and see what it is, why do the Proverbs exist, and how is it that walking through Proverbs and studying Proverbs, what does that look like in a relationship as we walk with he who is the source of all wisdom and knowledge? So this idea of a proverb, basically, briefly, um, a proverb is a, is a kind of a pithy short saying about something that is true, and we're going to get into a few of them later, but Proverbs are... are generally true in most circumstances, okay? These are not necessarily, you'll read something in the Proverbs and then you'll say, well, what does that mean? And is that, is that true? Well, yes, it's true, but it's not true in the same way like that your sins are forgiven when you put your faith in Jesus, kind of true. Proverbs is a book, obviously theological, but it is overwhelmingly practical. And it is to help us to grow in wisdom. We're going to look at what that is because it's one of the first words we get to. So you see these verbs here. I'm in the, the, uh, the NIV here. So your, your versions may vary uh, wildly in how it says uh, what we're doing here. But this says for attaining. So what are we attaining in verse 2? For attaining first wisdom and discipline. So wisdom is this idea that the, the word there, the root of it is really skill. It's just a skill set for something. It could be a skill uh, uh, in battle. It could be a skill in farming. But in this regard, this wisdom is the skill of living. Someone who is skilled at living life on planet earth. That is what wisdom means. It's the skill of living. And the purpose of these Proverbs is so that you can attain it. So if you're attaining something, it means that you don't have it and you need to get it, right? So, like, I don't need to um, attain a beard. Like, I've got one. It's there. I don't need to go get one somewhere. I have one. But someone who is attaining wisdom and discipline, it means that we're, we have a, a sense of lack. There's something that we lack that we need to attain so to attain wisdom, the skill of living, and uh, discipline. And then it says for understanding words of insight. So usually Proverbs, like most wisdom literature and, and um, poetry in the Bible, uh, they will say something, and then in the first half it says for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. And the second half of that phrase will amplify or help us understand better the, the first half. So one, we're attaining wisdom and discipline, but in order to make anything work with that, we have to understand these words of insight. So I can, I can have some knowledge, but if I don't have the context of it, it doesn't do me any good. If I don't know, if I have a bit of information, but I don't know where to put it, it's useless. Like if I have the ability to drive a standard, but there are no standard automobiles around, I mean, I have that knowledge, but it doesn't do me any good. Or if I know how to, uh, to sword fight, but there are no swords. Like, that's a skill that doesn't do me any good. The Proverbs are full of wisdom and discipline that will always do good. But we need to understand what they 
say. And this understanding is this idea of, of knowing the context that we're in and then what action we should take. So not only where I'm at, but what is going on around me and then what am I supposed to do given that context? That's where it gets really hard. Because oftentimes, right, I need to know, I might know what's going on, but I don't know what to do. And many, many times, Jenny and I's parents look at each other and we're like, well, what do we do? What do we do now? I don't know. I mean, how many times have you looked at a situation and said, I don't know what to do? Happens to me all the time. I'm at a constant deficit of wisdom. And so this idea of attaining wisdom and discipline and attaining understanding and words of insight is a great invitation. The reality of that is, as we're going to look through these, uh, these, this list here, there is something that we need that is outside of myself. The Proverbs are not saying, go and search in your innermost being and figure out the great wisdom that you need. It's, it's in you. Go find it. That's like the whole self-help, self-help section of the library is, you know, the power to change is within you and all these things. You know what? I, I'm a mess. I need something outside of me to give me the knowledge and the wisdom that I need to live life rightly and to be skilled at living a godly life here on planet Earth. I need something outside of myself. So for understanding, for attaining these things that I need. Verse 3, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. So once again, this, this idea of, uh, uh, some versions say like for, for getting or for living out, uh, for living wise behavior, this idea of a disciplined and prudent life. It doesn't sound like fun. What kind of person do you want to marry? Someone who has a disciplined and prudent life. Like we, it doesn't sound very romantic. However, the word prudent or prudence, right? Uh, we probably don't, I had to look a lot of these things up and I had to write a bunch of definitions because um, if I think of somebody who's prudent or a prude, that used to be an, an insult, right? Uh, not anymore. Anyway, so I could use some prudeness. So prudence. Someone who is prudent is someone who is capable of exercising sound judgment in practical matters. Someone who has common sense, who is careful. Someone who is prudent, say it again, capable of exercising sound judgment in practical matters. Doesn't that sound good? That doesn't sound super extraordinarily wowzers, right? I'm not like, oh, man, that's what... But that's the kind of person I want to be around. That's the kind of leader I want to have. And that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to know how to exercise sound judgment in practical matters. I don't necessarily need to be able to scrape the stars of theology. I need to know what to do with my teenager on Tuesday. Like, that's what I need to know. The opposite of that is imprudent. Imprudent, lacking discretion, judgment, or wisdom. These, this is the world's definitions, by the way. These are not straight out of the Bible. It's not like a Hebrew study. So someone who is imprudent is lacking discretion, judgment, or wisdom, lacking forethought by failing to consider the likely outcome of their actions. Lacking insight by failing to consider the likely outcome of your actions. If you get a giant hammer and you smash your hand with it, your hand is going to hurt. It would be imprudent to take a hammer and smash your thumb with it because you would not be considering, unless you want to break your thumb, I guess, I guess that's what you want to do. If you don't want to break your thumb, it is imprudent 
to smash it with a hammer. Why? Because the likely outcome of doing that is a broken thumb. I need to acquire a disciplined and prudent life because I don't always have one. There's, I need something outside of myself that can lead me in a way that I'm not necessarily walking, but that I need to be walking in. I need to acquire discipline and a life that is capable of exercising sound judgment in practical matters. Now, like I said, that does not sound super glamorous, but I would trade all the glamour and all the fame in the world for a leader who could do that, right? I don't care how good-looking they are or how much money they have. I want someone who can exercise sound judgment in practical matters. That's helpful. And for us to live lives like that is helpful. So, acquiring discipline and prudent life. And then it says, doing what is right and just and fair. The New American Standard says, uh, instead of right and just and fair, um, it says, getting what is, uh, uh, practicing what is right, uh, righteousness, justice, and equity. Equity. That's in a, the 95 NASB, right? So, you would think, if you were listening in 2023 now, I guess, 2022, nowadays, present day, that the word equity and justice, that those, like those words had never existed, that they were new. They're not new. They've actually, the concepts of justice and equity have been in this dusty old book written over 3,000 years ago. Can you believe that? That the Bible would say, how do you live a life that is righteous, that's full of righteousness, justice, and equity? You find it in the Proverbs. How do you live a life that is right and just and fair? Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of your days, someone just said, gosh, that their, their life was right. It was just. It was fair. They were a fair person. They were a just person. They were right in what they did. Those are glorious things to say about a human. Rare things, but glorious things to say about a human. So, Attaining wisdom, acquiring discipline and prudent life, and a life, a discipline and prudent life does what is right and just and fair. That's one of the things that the Proverbs gives us. How do I live a life that does that? How do I uh, exercise fairness in this circumstance? How do I walk in righteousness with my neighbor? How do I walk in fairness in this financial matter? These are the kind of things that the Proverbs will teach us. Okay, next in verses 4 and 5. Uh, there's kind of four people here, four groups, the simple, the young, the wise, and the discerning. So verse four says, for giving uh, prudence, which you already looked at, this, this idea of uh, the capability of exercising uh, sound judgment, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, to the wise, the, the wise listen and, under, and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. So, the simple. The word for simple there is not, uh, doesn't just mean that you're like an idiot. It's just this idea of, of um, someone who lacks the knowledge that they need, right? Someone who is um, not ignorant for the, in the sense of ignorance, but that they do not possess that which they need to do the thing that is in front of them, okay? Someone who is simple, but is willing to listen to instruction. The fool, as you read through Proverbs, is the person who needs the instruction and rejects it. They don't listen. That's what makes them foolish. Not that they just don't know something. It's that they don't know something, and then they reject the instruction that would give them wisdom. That's the definition of a fool. But here is just someone who needs 
prudence because they don't have it. Also to the young. What do the young need? Well, you imagine how much something a little human has to learn in the first year of her life. Like to walk and talk. It's incomprehensible the amount of things a child, a baby, has to learn in the first 365 days of their life. What about the first decade? Think of all that a kid has to learn in the first decade of life. Oh, and in the first two decades, you're supposed to be like a fully formed adult, ready to go out and conquer the world at 20. I was not, by the way. I was like, not ready. I'm still not ready. But this idea of how much we need to learn when we're young, so much. It seems, if you were to look back and tell a child how much they were going to have to learn, they would get overwhelmed. They would be hopeless. There was, but they learn it, just like we learn everything, one thing at a time. But they need knowledge and they need discretion. Look at the word discretion, by the way. So they need knowledge. You need to know things. But discretion is this. One, you think about uh, the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to uh, avoid causing offense. A person is very discreet. They have a lot of discretion, like you want to um, you maybe you want your, your banker or your therapist to be discreet and you don't want to talk to people. But it is a quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. You imagine a, a generation of youth who had the quality of behaving or, or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense? The Proverbs here say that a young person can gain those qualities by studying the Proverbs. Isn't that amazing? I like, are you as a not a young person? I want to qualify, quantify or qualify you as old or not, or young or not young. I'm not young. I'll just put myself in that category. But some of you call me young man. I appreciate it very much. Uh, but I'm, my kids say, say otherwise. So <clears throat> I need to have this quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. Like we as carriers of the gospel are not supposed to be offensive. We're supposed to be winsome. The gospel is offensive to the lost person. We are supposed to be kind and winsome and all these good things, not aggressive and argumentative. But the second definition of discretion is where I want to focus right now. Discretion is this. It is the freedom or power to decide what should be done in a particular situation. And in the Hebrew word here for discretion is this idea that's a root word of sifting. You know, you take flour, you got lumps of flour, and you sift the flour, and the little grains come out, and they all kind of, it all makes, it's this little uniform pile, it's all in its place. But when you sift through things, or a sifting machine, or a sorting machine, it takes things and puts them in their place, and it's someone who is, has the capability to sift through things and make sense of them. Someone who has discretion is a person who has the freedom or power to decide what should be done in a particular situation. Because they're thinking through, they're sorting, they're able to see the context of that circumstance, and then what should be done. Can you see as I'm describing this, this wise person, what this kind of person is, how it, Jesus is all of these things. He is all of these things. It's remarkable. It's not remarkable. I mean, it should make a lot of sense since he is the word of God. But so to the young, knowledge and discretion. To the wise, what do the wise do? They listen to Proverbs and they add to their learning. They don't just stay where they're at. The wise person continues to read Proverbs and gets wiser. They continue to gain wisdom. They continue to add to their learning. 
So wherever you are in these processes, if you don't think you're young anymore, and if you think you're wise, that's why you keep reading them. If you uh, think you're simple, which I'm often simple, I need prudence, I come to the Proverbs and I get it. And the last thing here is this group is the discerning. So there's this idea of, okay, I have some knowledge, I know some things, but what is the discerning, the person who is, is, uh, is figuring these things out, who is sorting through these things, who is sifting through these, these concepts and life and in the context of whatever life is going on, whatever life throws your way, what do they need? They need guidance. So the, the root word there is actually this root for a, a rope and a, and a sailor. And so what a sailor would do to use the ropes to move the sails to catch the shifting winds to keep his boat going in the same direction. So I've sailed like very, very little. I know one thing about it is that winds move and the sails have to move. So if you want the ship to go this way, it doesn't always just, you're not always just sitting there like drinking Mai Tais and with the sails full, driving straight. There's a lot of work to a boat. You've got to tack, you've got to do all these things in order to move the sails. So when it says, let the discerning get guidance, it's this idea of what direction do you move the sails to keep your boat going where it needs to go. I need to do that in life all the time. Need to know, Lord, what do, what do we need to change? What do we need to, how do we need to shift? How do we need to pivot to keep our, our life walking on the straight and narrow path that you have us on? Because the winds of life are constantly blowing in all these directions. Like in Oklahoma, they blow a lot and they change. And it's like one day it's in the north, it's west, east. Whoosh. Winds change. There's anything about winds and currents and these things, they move and they change. And we have to be able to be people who are wise who while we are discerning the context of our situations are able to come and say, okay, now this is the guidance that we, and now I'm getting guidance from the Proverbs as to what to do. We're going to look at that in just a second and what that looks like in a practical way. So for understanding problems and parables, sayings of the riddles and of the wise. The last part is this. This is the foundation, really the theme, the thesis of the entire book of Proverbs is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So Proverbs says many things about the fool, of course, but the fear of the Lord is this concept of, of, of not running away from the Lord, but of, of a reverent respect, and it's, the, it's a rightness in our relationship with an almighty God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, what do they do? Are they just maligned here because they're foolish? No, they're maligned here because they despise or they reject what? Wisdom and discipline. It's like a, uh, like James talks about the power of a bit in a horse's mouth. And there are, um, I've been told that it's possible if a, if, a, if a horse keeps spitting out the bit and it won't, uh, they won't hold the, the bit and the bridle in its mouth, they've, in the past, I don't know if they did this probably now, but they would wrap barbed wire around the bit and stick it in the horse's mouth so it couldn't bite it enough to spit it out. And they would only do that for the most stubborn horse to break it. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to be the kind of horse that has to have its bridle or bit wrapped in barbed wire for me to quit spitting it out. So that when the Lord gives me knowledge or wisdom in the Bible, I want to be the kind of horse that's like, yeah, you can take this bit off, man. I'll just, you just tell me where to go. Saddle, nothing. Let's just ride, Lord. I don't, you just go. I'm, I'm going. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to fight at all. I want to have this heart and this attitude that is just constantly open, constantly humble, constantly receptive to what God is teaching me in the word. I never want to be in a place where I'm despising wisdom 
and discipline. Because that just leads to a lot of pain. So to reject the Lord is to reject the source of the wisdom. So if I was to tell you that, hey, you're, you have water that comes in your house, that comes through the tap, and it's this chlorinated, beautiful water, and you can drink it, and you don't get parasites. It's amazing, by the way. Uh, like, we have cleaner water in the back of our toilets than most of the world has to drink every day. It's extraordinary. I said back in the, toilet, in the toilet. But this idea that the water that comes in the tank, it's, it's amazing that we have treated, clean water in our homes. So if I was to tell you that you can go to the, the tap, and you can get water, but that water comes from uh, a treatment facility that comes through a water main and that comes through a valve in front of your house. And that if you shut that valve off, that the water won't come in there. And you say, I don't believe that. I do not believe that the source of this water is that valve out there. Okay, so I'm going to go outside. I'm going to turn the valve off. And once that valve is off, good luck getting anything from the tap. You can turn it on and you can wish all that you want. The source is gone. Or if I go further back, if you blow up the plant, it's gone too. Or in, in, a, in a natural sense, a spring that water is flowing from and it grows and it flows into a stream. If you want to drink water from the stream, you go all the way up to the source of it. If you plug up the spring, there's no water downstream. In the same way, if you, if you deny the Lord and you refuse to fear the Lord, you're, you're not going to get any wisdom from the Word. You might be able to gain knowledge of certain things. You might be able to gain... You can do all kinds of things. You can watch TED Talks. You can go to read stuff online. You can go get masters and PhDs. You can get all kinds of degrees and things and still be an absolute fool. Or you can be an entirely uneducated in the world's perspective person and be wise beyond your years. Have you ever met a person like that? Who the world despised, but who was so full of wisdom and who knew what to do. Those are the kind of people you go to for counsel. So, briefly, I just want to look at a proverb. And so practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, proverbs are fun because there's 31 chapters. And you can just read through them as you want to. It doesn't really matter. But the way I do it, because it keeps me from having to think a whole lot, and it's an easy habit to form, is whatever the day of the month is. Today is the first. Read Proverbs 1 uh, in honor of, uh, of my daughter's 15th birthday, which is Friday. Uh, we will look at Proverbs 15. So I know the 15th, I'm kind of breaking the rule here because that's actually January 6th. I'm looking at Proverbs 6. But anyway, so you just pick a proverb, whatever the day is. You look at your calendar and you're like, oh, uh, today's the 4th. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 4. Oh, today's the 27th. Great, Proverbs 27. Oh, I skipped five, a bunch of days. Oh, now we're in Proverbs 2. So it doesn't really matter. It's an anthology, so you don't have to. It's not like picking up John in John chapter 12 and wondering what's going on. Like, who's this Jesus guy? Or you read in chapter 13, like, why is he washing their feet? Who are the disciples? Where did they come from? It's not like that. You can just pick it up anywhere and just read it. So whatever day of the, of the calendar day is, just pick up Proverbs that day and read it. So a few Proverbs you're going to pick in Proverbs 15. Here's one. So you want to talk about what is, how do these things actually uh, look? How do they end up being practical? Because Proverbs covers how to be wise or how to have the skill of living in, in finances, in, in marriage, in child rearing, in governance, in, um, in how to deal with, with annoying neighbors, in how to deal with drunk people, in how to deal with fools, in how to, all of these things. So Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And that is true. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the next time you get the opportunity, see, Proverbs unapplied 
useless. It's like a hammer and a box of nails that just sit there. You've got to build something with them. You've got to use the tools. How do you apply this? Well, the next time you get a chance to talk and answer, be gentle. When you get a chance to answer, that may mean you have to actually close your mouth. Maybe put your hand over your mouth if you need to. We should tell little kids, just put your hand over your mouth. You can't say anything. You're in a bad place. Just cover it up for a while. So that sometimes works in marriage. It's very, very wise to just not say something right now, right? Because whatever I'm going to say is going to be harsh. And if I reply with a harsh word, what's it going to do? Stir up anger. It's like a pot. It's going to going to stir it up. And what was just sort of over here blows up into this giant thing. You're sleeping on the couch and nobody's happy. So a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's wisdom. But it only helps us if we apply it. This does me no good if the next time I answer someone, I answer harshly. And especially if I get surprised that it makes them mad. You have to apply what's in here. So here's one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in interpersonal relationships, wisdom. Verse 17. This is probably really good uh, coming off of a whole lot of family time together over the holidays. Uh, Let's look at 16 and 17. They're kind of a couplet there. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So I'd rather just have a little bit and have a life that fears the Lord than be super wealthy and have a chaotic turmoil of life. And then it says, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. So would you rather be in a home where you're just, you're like, I'm eating, I'm eating some carrots and broccoli, but man, my home is at peace and we are loving each other and I'm in an environment of love and peace and joy, or to have the greatest meal ever in this broken, bitter environment of a home. So the practical thing of that is what was well, a lot. The things about Proverbs, by the way, is you hit it, and then you hit a level, and then as you chew on it, you hit another level, and you just, it just keeps going deeper. That's the wonder of these Proverbs. So what are we focused on when we're creating a meal in our home, you know, practically speaking? Are we, we focused on creating an environment of love or making a really nice meal? Okay. Well, what do I do if, if, uh, if I've got this great meal, but our house is full of hatred? Well, maybe you take the turkey and you throw it in the dumpster and you sit down with everybody and you say, hey, I don't care about that food. I care about how well we love it. So maybe don't throw it in the dumpster. Maybe just deal with the issue and then eat the turkey. But that would also be wise because it's kind of wasteful. But what is the environment that you're creating in your home? Uh, you know, husbands and wives, what is the environment in your marriage? Parents, what is the environment for your children? Would you, would you rather, are you working so hard that you're trying to make so much money to provide for all these things, but your home is, in a, is an environment of, loss and hatred and sadness. This says that it's better to be poor and have a place of the fear of the Lord than it is to have wealth with turmoil. What are you seeking after? Do you seek to have a home of peace or a home with all the stuff? See, this is like Proverbs applied. Okay, finally is uh, 19. This is uh, really good, especially for my, my, my young self was a lazy, lazy self. I had a teacher once say that I was a uh, uh, something like smart as a whip, but lazy as a hog, I think was the phrase he used. Um, really great thing for a fifth grader to hear, by the way. Uh, so good. I remember it. I remember it was a long time ago, fifth grade, and I remember it. So he's like, why won't you do your work? 
The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns. Why? Why is the way of the sluggard blocked with thorns? Because he didn't clear the thorns. Because he's lazy. So the highway of the sluggard has thorns everywhere because he's lazy and he doesn't do the work to clear the thorns. But the path of the upright is a highway, a flat level. You've got to remember, this is ancient Near Eastern culture. Highways were rare and they were beautiful. A place that was smooth, a road where you could walk, no brambles, stuff cleared out of the way. The, the path or of the upright is a highway. The one who walks in righteousness does the work they're supposed to do so that their path is clear. But if you're lazy, you know what? It's blocked with thorns. There's two things to that. One, maybe because you're not doing the work, but two, there's another proverb that says that the, uh, the sluggard looks out and says, oh, there's a lion in the street. We can't go out and work today. Uh, okay, if there's a lion in the street, what should you do with a lion? Go kill it. It's a lion. It's dangerous. Man up. Protect people. Go do stuff. It's a lion. Go get rid of the thing. It's a threat. Either make it go away or, I don't know, but don't just stand there and complain about the lion. Lazy people stand there and complain when there's work to be done. Don't be a lazy person. So, I mean, gosh, look at it, 18. A, ha a hot-tempered man stirs up distension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. If we actually walked in, just the book of Proverbs, not, not to mention all the other glorious stuff in the Bible, if we were to just read the book of Proverbs and apply them to our daily lives, it would transform who we are as a people. Transform who we are as a people. So, I've challenged you on November, November, where am I anyway? January, <laughs> January 1st, 2023 is this. As a Christian, you have dwelling within you the source of all wisdom and knowledge, Jesus. He has given you his word to seek him and to know him and to walk with him. Read the Bible. You hear this from me all the time. Dive into the Proverbs and just try to memorize, I don't know, one a month. Memorize one proverb a month. You can do one a week, yes, if you wanted to. But memorize a proverb a month, 12 Proverbs. Just as you read through, think, ooh, oh, yeah, I'm really struggling with, I have a hard time when I answer people. I answer with harsh words. So I'm going to memorize this proverb so that it sticks in my heart, and then for a month, I'm going to think about it every day. It'll change who you are. Transform how you think. It'll transform the words that you say, and it'll transform the kind of person that you are into a person of wisdom. So we have an opportunity to respond in worship. Oh, let me, by the way, I recommend a book to you. Uh, this is called How to Read Proverbs, super uh, fancy title, by a guy named Tremper Longman III. I bet you never met a Tremper. Uh, you probably never met a Treb until you start coming here either, so there's that. But great, great little book, wonderful guide. And he ends it with this. So some encouragement before we respond in worship about the Proverbs. So How to Read Proverbs by Tremper Longman III. Great little book. God has given Proverbs as a gift to his people, and its importance has not diminished by virtue of its antiquity. Ooh, that's a great word. Okay, I'm going to read that again because that is a well-crafted sentence. God has given Proverbs as a gift to his people, and its importance has not diminished by virtue of its antiquity. It's still important even though it's old. Life continues to be complicated. Every day has issues, both great and small. Not a week goes by without an important decision to be made or action to take that affects our most important relationships and our own personal well-being. Proverbs can help us navigate those perilous 
waters. It gives us advice and imparts observations so we might live life with maximum enjoyment and effectiveness. In this way, Proverbs could well be characterized as a self-improvement book, but this would be a grave mistake. Proverbs is so much more than a collection of well-crafted insights into living. It is a thoroughly theological book confronting us from the very beginning with the most fundamental of choices. What is or should be the driving force of my life? Will I enter into relationship with wisdom or folly, with God or idols? A particular choice faces the Christian reader. In light of the New Testament's teaching on the nature of wisdom, is Jesus Christ, the epitome of God's wisdom, at the center of my life's decisions and actions? Wow. So my imploration to you, my imploring, I want to implore you to walk with wisdom this year. He's given you all that you need to walk in life and godliness. Seek him in his word and walk in what he teaches you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for, gosh, that you're just good even though we're dumb, that you're uh, forgiving even though we're not, that you are gracious when we're selfish, that you are eternal even though we're finite, you are glorious when we are slugs. And we just, we want to treasure you, Lord. You are, it's hard to believe, Lord Jesus, that you have given us yourself as the source of all wisdom and understanding and knowledge, this great mystery, and that we get to dive into you and learn. We get to learn from the greatest teacher who will ever exist, you. You teach us through your word. You teach us by the Spirit to recall to us. You teach us in community of believers. You teach us as we serve and make mistakes and love and walk with you. So teach us this year, O oh Lord. Give us hearts that are teachable, not the heart of a fool that despises wisdom and knowledge. Give us a heart that yearns for wisdom, that seeks it out, and that applies it to daily life. Make us a church, O oh Lord, who is deeply and wonderfully wise, so much so that the community around us would look to us for what to do when life is hard and that we would have answers for them because we have spent the time investing in being children of wisdom. In Christ's risen name we pray, amen. Let's all stand and sing this final song together in response to the word we've heard and let's ask the Lord to reveal wisdom to us, to give us the strength to walk in it. have seen salvation from the Lord prepared for all revealed for me to see what once was hidden no longer mystery light has come the glory of our King my eyes have seen the power mighty arm 
exposed for all to see. He is redemption. He's come for you and me. Victory is here. The glory of our King. Good news, great joy, everything is new. Alleluia, everything is new. Good news, great I long to see the coming of the Lord. His glory on display for all to see. He is Jesus, the advent of our peace. He'll split the clouds. He'll come and set us
listen, here's the deal. I can say all these things, but you don't actually go out and read the Proverbs. It's just a waste of time. So find out a way to do it. I don't know if you read it, do your Bible study, read it in the morning, read it in the night, gather with a couple people for coffee, get a couple gals together and have a lunch. I don't know. Figure it out. Read the Proverbs. Do what it says. And then it'd be really cool to report back next year and say, hey, this is what the Lord taught us. And until then, go in 